it is the top of the hour, so we are going to get started. Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to be hearing from Scott Miller and David Sladsky about Talk Less, Discuss More, Crafting and Implementing Open-Ended Questions. Uh, before I introduce the speakers, I would ask people to introduce themselves in the chat window telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. And our speakers do have uh, Twitter handles on their screen, and I'm sure if you uh, follow them, they may even follow you back. Mm-hmm. Love connecting. Mm-hmm. So what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is if you have one. All right, so let me explain a little bit about how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you would use the same URL you used to get here tonight. Um, although this year we are going to also be posting our recordings to the Global Math Department YouTube channel. So you can also catch the videos there as well. The Global Math Community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll catch your questions for the presenters. So don't worry that the presenters won't notice your questions in the chatter. So tonight we have two speakers. Um, one of our speakers is Scott Miller. Scott Miller is currently the math department chair at Naperville Central High School, where he teaches and collaborates with 26 amazing teachers. Those were his words. He is a Desmos certified trainer and loves working with students and teachers to integrate mathematical thinking and technology. His Twitter handle is at smiller229. And also tonight with us, we have David Slackey. David uh, has been teaching high school math for 33 years. He currently teaches Algebra One and Geometry at Naperville Central High School. David has a passion for movement in the classroom and wrote the book, Energizing Brain Breaks. Uh, he also blogs at teachinghighschoolmath.blogspot.com and his Twitter handle is at dsladke. So welcome to Scott and David. Thanks, Lee. We really appreciate this opportunity to uh, talk with you and learn with you and share uh, on this topic that's been something that's been a, um, a, a, we've been working on over many years and learning and changing what we do in the classroom. So we're glad to join you. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and get started, Dave. Uh, yep. So, so I'm, uh, as Lee said, I'm math teacher at Naperville Central and married with three grown children. And you can see my two little grandsons there, Matt, uh, Jack and Max there. And then some of my hobbies, I, I love to bike and I just picked up unicycling in June. So that's been kind of a, a journey. So yeah, Scott. Uh, so uh, I am married with three grown children, all in grad school and college, uh, and I've gotten back into running and walking and biking uh, with having some more time at home, which has been great. Uh, and together, Dave and I have actually been teaching close to 60 years combined, not 60 years of peace, but 60 years combined. <laughs> um, and 
uh, this coming year, I'll be teaching geometry and working in math support. And Dave will be teaching Algebra 1 and geometry and Algebra 1 support. Uh, so we're glad to join you. Um, and the reason that we bring that up in terms of close to 60 years of experience, we're all facing a new year like we've never had before. So uh, we want to talk to you in terms of what we're going to be doing today uh, is to empower you to create open-ended questions uh, that you can use in a synchronous, uh, in-person, a blended format, or in an online format in synchronous or asynchronous format to work with. And we'll do that um, if looking at in terms of our instructional practice, in practice that students are doing, and also in assessment. Yeah, and, and we're doing it in a digital mode too. We're not just thinking of the, the classroom itself. We're thinking of um, how we do do this um, as a digital uh, presentation. Yep. So to get that started, um, we just want to use this similar to how we would use in a, say, a Zoom setting from a digital format, is um, in the chat window, we want you to actually answer a question for us, starting off with a little bit of math. Yeah, maybe get a pencil. Mm -hmm. So what we'd like you to do is to enter in, find the coordinates of two points that produce a slope of negative two-sevenths. So if you could just enter your two ordered pairs into the chat, that would be fantastic. While people are doing that, do you want to say, yeah, Dave, uh, congratulations on being awarded a uh, uh, 2020 Presidential Award for Excellence in Teaching Mathematics. So I want to congratulate you for the state of Illinois. Thank you, Scott. And I know Darshan said that. Thank you, Darshan. And, and actually, I think Darshan is, um, I don't remember which year you were awarded that, but um, congratulations to you, Darshan. Great. Okay. Ooh, nice. Yeah, so we got some examples that we're looking at here. Uh, fantastic as we see those coming along. Uh, so what we wanted to show is we're seeing those is, are these the order pairs that you came up with? Um, and what we see is none of these match with what we see uh, on here, which is fantastic uh, mm -hmm. to work with. But this lends itself into what we're gonna be talking about today of um, talking less as a teacher, listening more to our students and getting our students engaged in discussion. Uh, and so really we're talking about going from a teacher-centered classroom to a student-centered classroom. And so the way to do that then we find that's been super helpful to do that is to work with open-ended questions. So a uh, quote here that's helped Dave and I sort of think about some of the things that we've been doing in the classroom from uh, Danielle Willingham here uh, is that yes, people are naturally curious, our students are naturally curious and so are we, but not naturally good thinkers unless we set the cognitive conditions that are right. Uh, we will avoid thinking if the cognitive conditions aren't right. So we found that open-ended questions help us direct that and setting those cognitive conditions to do that. Mm, absolutely. So we will show examples then of before and after, uh, sort of the question that we have that we're looking at that we start with and how do we restructure that to make it an open-ended question. Um, again, still within the same framework of the concept of, that we're learning, uh, but using it from a different direction. Uh, just kind of reminds us, Dave and I, of our beginning years of teaching with chalk and chalkboards, <laughs> and now moving to a digital environment. Uh, so that's Scott cool. and Scott, that's you, right? A snowboarder in, no. the, in the tube? <laughs> no, that's actually just an animation I created um, okay. using Desmos uh, for yeah. there. I have not started that. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get into snowboarding, but uh, it seems like something to be interesting to do. So, mm -hmm. All right. 
Yeah, so, I mean, this is typically what we do with this kind of question. We usually just have something that gives one answer. And, you know, they work it out, figure out, and get our same answer that we got. But here's the thing is we create this uh, kind of engagement by having them think on their own of their own answer and how they might work that through instead of relying on us to show how we would do it and then appreciate uh, their classmates um, when they present as well. So this is before. And then this is the after, which is the question that we started with here. Uh, so again, you can see in terms of moving from a direction of a closed-ended question to now an open-ended question where we can recognize um, the uh, current conceptual understanding of our students and then uh, recognize their brilliance uh, that they have and where they're at, uh, where we can't do that with a procedural question. So we'll look at it. Is it better here or, here or two? So let me see that. I'll try that again. So is it better here? <laughs> or here. So just uh, those that remind us of what it's like being at the optometrist, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't mean that Dave and I never use closed-ended questions. I don't want to give that uh, sort of vibe or feed, you know, thought process or something else like that. But it's this journey that we've used of how do we slow things down and listen to what our students are saying, develop better relationships with them. And we found that open-ended questions are a way to do that and then also see where students are at. And often we put some parameters on it. And this one, you can see right here, we just have your coordinates can't be on the on an axis or just some other parameter that will guide them a little bit more towards what we're looking for and not be so restrictive. Yeah. And then also work to some extensions that way. Um, so again, because in the chat, we saw quite a few there, the um, ordered pairs were on an axis. But again, it's, we, you know, can use this question in many different contexts in different ways. So one other way we want to use the chat here, uh, similar to what we would use in a classroom, is asking this this thought process here. As a teacher, you can divide your class time that you have in a, a hundred percent into two categories: where the teacher is talking or instructing, uh, or the teacher is listening and providing feedback. So what do you think your ideal feedback or ideal breakdown would be? Just put your two percentages with a comment in between them. Yeah. Could you do that and in the chat? Maybe even what your thought process on that is. And mm -hmm. obviously there's no answer, no correct answer, just some of our thoughts are, and it could be what you're going towards, or it could be, um, you know, what you're actually are now. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. This is a common theme. Yeah. 20, 2080. 2080. Yep. What did you say the other day, Scott? Uh, I found mine. It was it was you know sort of 1585 was the direction I was sort of moving towards, um, and <laughs> uh, it just you know of, but finding that the structure of some of the examples we're going to look at here really help in terms of moving that towards where it becomes a more student focused classroom, a better position for me to listen and relate to my students um, mm -hmm. and provide feedback to them as a result. Yeah, and I think um, I said um, a third, so a third, two thirds, and I see a couple of people are at that too. And, you know, boy, certainly is is a thing to think about. And and I think this question might be good for you and your colleagues to, to, um, to discuss, just 
where should we be heading and, and why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in terms of just looking at what some of the data shows, uh, so Danes uh, did some research on actually history teachers um, and looking at the questions that they posed in their classrooms and came up with 93% of the questions were of low order thinking, were recall questions, uh, were ones where um, the students are just sort of regurgitating the information. So not the cognitive condition where thinking was taking place. So again, that you know, colleague of ours down at the University of Illinois uh, is really asking, you know, who is doing the thinking in the problem? Um, we as math teachers, you might say, well, Scott and Dave, you just said something about history teachers. We're not immune as math teachers. Um, looking at here, this is a breakdown of um, what two researchers uh, did on this. Uh, this was uh, Stigler and Hebert. Um, they actually looked at the third international mathematics and science study um, of the uh, redoing this in back in 1999. And what they found is they looked at the types of questions that teachers were asking in different countries. So they're looking at 100 um, different teachers from each country, looking at their typical math classroom. And they found they started recording the types of questions that were being posed. And two questions that came out, two categories were using procedures and making connections. But what you're seeing here is when teachers took making connection questions, of whether they kept them as making connection questions or did they convert it into using procedures. And what you'll see here is that in the United States, the examples that they saw is 59% of those questions were turned into procedural questions and none of them were kept as making connections. And so it's not something that we as math teachers are immune to. It's, it's an easy thing to fall into. Um, and in fact, the researchers had to sort of create a new category for United States students of called the teacher giving the answer. So the uh, students would outweigh the teacher and would uh, would give the what the answer to the question is. So what we found then is one way to combat this, uh, you know, because it's it's quicker, it feels like it's more efficient to do that, to, to work that way. Uh, but we're gonna give some examples of how to try and stem that tide and try and um, not move in that direction. Well, and it's easier if there's there's not just one answer too. Correct, that's yeah. exactly right. So how we change our practice, um, it's not been something that we've done perfect. It's not something that we uh, changed, you know, automatically right away with everything we did. It's something that we've grown and worked and, uh, you know, changed different ideas and come up with new ways and, um, it's fluid. and successes and fluid. And uh, we've had successes and failures in the classroom. So we want to share what some of those are. So changing direction on questions, Dave. The, this this is allowed actually, right? Yeah. Usually Maybe. it says that's not allowed. You know, <laughs> can't U-turn, but we can, and we can change the way we teach and think. And I think it's always changing, and certainly it's going to change this this fall. Mm -hmm. So part of this, then, in terms of want to share with you in this presentation, then, is the process of saying that we're going to be starting a, a school year where we're in remote learning or an e-learning or online environment uh, for at least six weeks uh, or much longer. And um, in that realm, we wanted to say that things that we do in person, we also then carry over into the online environment and giving you some tools and some examples to do that. So even if we're in a hybrid situation uh, where our students are going to be physically distant from each other, so the way that we usually interact with students and they interact with each other is going to be different. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're actually finding ways and things that we did in the spring were actually the same, just we had to find different ways to do it. 
So this is one that's a before, uh, one that's on uh, graphing quadratic equations. Uh, you know, uh, one where you know we're looking at the procedure where students are at, and then here's the after. And what you can see here then is that we've changed the structure up to an open-ended, and so we can actually recognize where our students' uh, current conception is at, recognize what they're, you know, what what students know, uh, and look at. And an open-ended question invites us into that, and it slows us down to um, look at student work, to look at where each student is at, to recognize um, what directions are feedback that we can provide for them. Um, and we can't do that as easily sometimes in a closed-ended question. Well, and this is a, a low-floor, high-ceiling question too, because mm -hmm. some students would not, um, maybe would jump to particular way vertex form or something like that and some might um, maybe even use guess and check in a in a graphing calculator or, or desmos and it's just I, I think this empowers a student engages them it kind of teases them into okay this is pretty cool I, I can try to do this mm -hmm. it's, yeah and then Dave like you mentioned this is one that has a parameter on it uh, to work with where now we have the y-intercept um, that adds some more intrigue to what that is. Uh, but again, the still working with the conception, the concept um, mathematically of graphing parabolas, but turning the question around to an open-ended nature in a lot of different ways. And like Dave, you said of students may write it and report it in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we wanted to illustrate here, just in terms of this, of when you start with uh, open-ended questions, uh, and finding how you're helping students um, and providing them with feedback or changing the question uh, and you think it's going well, that sometimes actually you're over scaffolding uh, what the question is. Um, you're not helping anything whatsoever. And then you actually need some rescue for what you're doing. So we want to say that this is a learning process. Uh, it doesn't always work well. Yeah, you learn a lot. And it's a great way to dialogue with colleagues about things uh, as you share in this journey together. Yeah, I'm just thinking though, um, my family, I, I'm the youngest of five children, Mills, and my brothers and sisters always told me, grow up and get it yourself. And that's kind of been my philosophy in education is helping our students do it themselves instead of being reliant on us. And so, I think that's kind of where we're going with some of these things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so continuing on with what Willingham has said uh, here is uh, we're really eager to uh, get to the answer and not develop sufficient time developing the question. And we found this is a way in terms of working with open-ended questions of getting ways for students to get up and do it themselves uh, in that sense. Um, yeah. And we, I think we rob kids of that aha. Mm -hmm. moment we love we love math we're math teachers we love it and we kind of do the the aha part and show them instead of letting them get that aha moment and doing it themselves and then getting that excitement of oh this is really cool so mm -hmm. yeah that's what i think he's kind of telling us to right exactly um, so it, it's hard though, because instructional resources that we come across, um, don't lend themselves to this type of thing. Um, so curriculum that you have, and then trying to find other ideas of curriculum resources that again, stick within, uh, sort of the framework of your progression of learning that you have, that you're using in your school, 
um, or with your colleagues, but changing things around. So this example here of factoring quadratic um, procedural, um, and then you know the the resources that we have, you know, are are doing good good things. Like Dave, you mentioned the aha. This one actually tells what <laughs> students should notice here uh, from that structure. So um, I think that's something to to be cautious about. Like you said, of um, let students, you know, we we work with ways of helping students you know, arrive, help nudge them to, or arrive at that point on their own. But we have to set up that scenario for that to happen. And so taking this concept then of factoring a quadratic and using sort of uh, Dan Meyer's idea of um, if the factoring is the aspirin, what is the headache to work with? And here's an example then of the same concept, you know, of, of pick a number and write it down. Uh, then you ask students to evaluate the expression using your number and then asking the student, did you arrive when you evaluated that at zero? Um, but what's neat about this of looking at student work um, from an environment, uh, from a digital standpoint, and we'll talk about, Dave, you're gonna think you're gonna talk about one in just a second about that, is we can see if, if students um, are struggling at all in terms of um, working with negative numbers or positive numbers or substituting things in. Uh, but then it's lending itself to that uh, process of them substituting values in to try to come to zero uh, from a guess and check method. And then providing then a structure that looks like this uh, for students to evaluate the expression and do the same type of process, but then ask them, you know, what do you think? And then that lends itself then to them coming up with their own, constructing their own knowledge of working with these two different formats uh, to come up with an answer. Um, and lends itself then into why do we need, or is it necessary to do factoring? Uh, so that means also in terms of practice, um, we want to make sure that uh, we do that. So yes, we do have closed-ended questions we use in practice, but it's also lending itself into questions like this is the before. And then Dave, why don't you talk about the after here? Well, you know, I think most questions that we ask in math uh, go down to, to like one answer. If we just reverse that, you know, if you go back and forth from this, here's the, the question usually and find the answers. Instead, we give one answer or even none. And, and then we, uh, so reversing the question, it oftentimes gives us an open-ended uh, question, which is really where we're, we're trying to head towards. Mm -hmm. So here's an example then, instructional resource from geometry. Uh, so, taking the idea of a parallelogram and all of the properties and I, in some ways kind of sucking all the life out of it. Um, instead, uh, going with a framework like this, um, sort of uh, running this direction. So, you know, here's a, what do you notice uh, about this figure and what do you wonder? But Dave, I struggle with this, especially at the beginning of the year of notice and wonder that I really don't get much, um, buy-in from students. I don't get much in terms of them providing much of an answer, like it's a one-word answer or something else, or I don't know, or something else. Is there a way that you found that has been helpful for that to, to yeah, yeah, for sure. get to that so that students pick up on this? You know, I think culture of your class is important. And at the start, it's a little bit scary to put yourself out there. So just a couple changes in the words, and you'll notice at the next, um, what are at least two things that you notice. So it kind of just gives them a little, all right, I'm gonna do a couple things. 
And I think this gets them thinking and they can, it, it seems a little more quantifiable. I don't know. We found uh, that to be helpful. And uh, what two questions do you have about this? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then I've, I found then that that structure then eventually throughout the year, like you said, the creating classroom culture where students are ready and willing and uh, getting involved in discourse on uh, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Uh, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then to add some intrigue here is um, that ways we've used this then in the classroom then is some of the questions that they ask, that's how we gauge and direct in terms of some of the instruction that we provide or questions that we ask. And then so students would ask like, you know, are the lines parallel? Um, are all the sides congruent? So now I, we can split up the group uh, in a digital environment where we have some students finding slopes, some students finding distance of particular segments and then reporting back of what we come up with then as a class. And then that we explore then into the properties of a, quad, a parallelogram uh, based on the information that we have here. Um, and then move into maybe some dynamic geometry, such as GeoGebra or Desmos geometry to construct some of these uh, types of things with based on what students ask um, mm -hmm. as a result. Yeah, and, and we're talking a lot about these things and I hope everybody's thinking in their mind, how are we gonna do this digitally? And, and we will get to that soon. Sure, all right. Oh, perfect. All right. So some of the ways, digital ways to accomplish listening to our students, uh, to get them involved in some discourse in that way and digital environment. So Dave, you've got three things here that we got, uh, Padlet, mm -hmm. Flipgrid, and Zoom breakout rooms. Yeah. Well, first, Padlet, I don't know, maybe you guys could say in the, the chat room, but Padlet has been really um, great for me. I've taught blended learning. Uh, the you know blended algebra for a number of years now and that has been just terrific a terrific way to interact with students it's a public posting um, let me go there I'm going to share with you uh, my screen and all right see if I can get this going and while Dave's doing that we realize that the link that's there is actually incorrect we have it corrected on uh, the tiny URL presentation mm. for Open Ended 2020. Uh, so that's fixed there. Right. And Scott, can you see my screen? I can't see your screen yet. So Okay. Okay. Let me just get there. How about now? Can you see it now? Can't see it. That's loading. There we go. Okay. So uh, this is just a Padlet. Padlet is free. And certainly there's you know, levels of, of palette that you can pave into. But I just ask a question, um, give an equivalent expression for this. And I uh, just put it in a couple examples. But, you know, in this case, for this one, you could just go to the Desmos example and you could type in your possible answer, which would be x squared plus 4x minus 12. And those two are the same. You could get your um, graph. It's just a link there. And then you double click here. And um, my other answer. And just put in the link right here. Or this one actually will show the graph. 
So I usually like the students to show their graph, but it, it doesn't really matter how they do it. Um, and so I like to have all my students sign in to Padlet. This is just a great way. You can also have them like others. I like my own there, so that's easy. Um, it, it's just a great way to get your students involved in what you're doing. And not only can they do that, but if you double click here, there's also other things that they can do. Look, they can upload something, they can put a link, they could um, do voice, screen, draw, actually. Yeah, so lots of different things. Uh, I use Padlet quite a bit. Okay, let me go see if I can stop sharing slides. Okay, we should be back, right? All right, there we go. Great. So that's an example then of Padlet. Uh, and then now an example of Flipgrid. So th this is, Dave, this is one that you actually worked some of sort of from a number talk of uh, using the eight times 14. So can you talk about some of the ways that you use Flipgrid in the classroom in terms of getting student voice that way? Yeah, uh, Flipgrid is just a way for you to get students feedback uh, video wise and it's also free and you know if you want to go to that i'm just going to show you a, a screenshot um i put this out on twitter and a couple teachers put in their idea for how to get eight times 14. but you know your students um will be able to see others examples how they've uh, answered the question i always ask my students to introduce themselves um and then to say thanks for watching at the end of my videos but uh it's also class culture to get used to, to uh, sharing with the rest of the class. Students um, really start to, uh, to like doing this because it gives them a voice. Um, there also is a, a way to like others and not, and it doesn't show who likes it, it's just liking it. So sometimes I say, like a few of your classmates' um, talks. They, the way I use this also in my class is I have them do screencasts and then I have them upload the screencast, you know, work out this um, uh, visual pattern and then I'll have them upload their screencast to the Flipgrid and then, then we go through a few of the, the, um, the screencasts. So does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, it does. Uh, and I like how you mentioned in terms of the screencast, some students feel little apprehensive about showing their face uh, and get comfortable with that over time. But a screencast is a great way to do that where they're talking about something that's on their screen. Yeah. So just a shout out, uh, notice and wonder to Annie Fetter uh, and uh, work that she's done in terms of bringing that to the forefront into the classroom. Um, so uh, some resources uh, and using those in the digital environment, just going to go over some of these uh, kind of quickly of open middle visual patterns, math vens, maths vens. I have to make sure I say that correctly. And then also Desmos uh, with that. So uh, this is a before in terms of an open middle, uh, solve the equation that you see here, uh, procedural aspect. Uh, but then our friends over at open middle providing lots of different examples and other ones that are out there of taking and now the student creating their own question um, and creating their own equation. Uh, something that Dave and I like about this particular question is from a differentiation standpoint, is it allows students then who are, are uh, 
quick, a little quicker at solving this uh, are coming up with two different equations and then other students that are taking a little longer, that's okay. They're developing one equation uh, that they work with here. Um, and then uh, Dave, what's a way that you mentioned about um, getting to see some of the student work where they write things down uh, from that standpoint? What's one way of doing that digitally? Well, one way is to actually use uh, Google Slides. I don't know if you guys have a Google environment, but we have a Google environment. Google Slides are really, really nice uh, for math. And there's a couple ways to use them. Here's how I, um, I got this from Alice Keeler. And you can see it's Google Slides. It's actually the same slide um, replicated over and over after the first couple. And you can actually pull these numbers down. And remember, it's the, the rule for open middle is that you can only use each number once. So this kind of reinforces that. This, this number will, could come down here. And this is just an equivalent fractions one. But um, some student could do this first one. A different student could do the next one. So you just have all your students participating and they're just putting them in um, the slots. And then right here, they just explain what they're talking about. So um, yeah, it, it is uh, Google Slides, that's one way. The other way is actually to give your students uh, this and they copy it. And then they do two or three examples and then they will um, turn that into you on their learning management system or something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, Google Slides, um, I think is a kind of a hidden thing. We can put videos into the slides. I have students turning in um, almost like a portfolio uh, in Google Slides of, a, I mean, you could have the portfolio of a class or of a chapter and they could just do uh, some of the problems on each slide that they're they're working through. Google Slides is great for math. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, uh, the resource then of Open Middle uh, goes uh, from uh, all different uh, grade bands all the way up through calculus. And so that's intriguing in terms of using that type of structure. It's still there. Yeah, and Scott, one more thing. Um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you go to Open Middle, you can just copy, you know, just cut and paste and put those into Google Slides. It's super easy. So, yeah. Great. So shout out then to Nanette Johnson and Robert Kaplinski uh, on development of the website on openmiddle.com. Uh, Robert's actually written a book uh, on open middle, uh, which is fantastic for grades six through 12. So check that out. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's something that we just wanted to mention really quickly is, um, and, Dave has written a book on uh, Energizing Brain Breaks. I've actually written a sequel to it called More Energizing Brain Breaks. But one of the things is getting your students active, which is easy to do in a face-to-face -face environment, not so easy to do in a digital environment. But uh, just to, this is one way to remind ourselves in terms of, um, you know, we've had brain breaks have been group or partner, but now we have to be with distance learning and also in the classroom with students being um, physically separated from each other to do individual brain breaks. So this is just an example here um, of and something that we'll, un we'll incorporate and incorporate into our online teaching that we do to get students 
you know, up and out of their seats for a while. Uh, and so that, congratulations, Scott, for publishing that book and it's at Corwin. So more energizing brain breaks. Yeah. So if you're looking for, yeah. And individual ones are kind of what we have to do now. Mm -hmm. Can't do yeah. the, the uh, partner ones. No. And so this is an example here of working with, uh, you know, two sides of your body. One is where you're winking with one eye and then snapping uh, on the other side and then switching back and forth as quickly as possible. Same so, time. Yeah. At the same time. So, yep. And I find then that the faster that you're doing that, then, then you end up doing it on the same side. So a uh, great way to work with that and cross in the midline of your body. Um, so again, something that we do, uh, takes about one to two minutes of class. Uh, but again, it's a creating a, creating a classroom culture where movement is also valued, even when we're going to be in an e-learning environment. Yeah. And we do have these in, um, digital format. So just, uh, give a, you know, give an email or something and, and we'll show you how to get that. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, visual patterns is something, Dave, that we really, really like. Uh, and the process so here of is uh, sort of the same thing of you know what a step four look like, what a step 10 look like, how many squares in step 43, and how many squares in step X. But how is the structure that you could use this then in an environment then of using Zoom um, to do that? Can you talk about that process then? Yeah, well, Zoom breakout, I hope you've uh, become familiar with that. And if not, it's a good thing to look into. It's where you have, let's say you had 20 kids in your, your Zoom session. You could split your kids up into certain groups of four or whatever you want. And then uh, they're in a room for whatever amount of time that you want. And then you can pull them back after that amount of time is done. You can also visit the rooms that uh, you've created and so kind of see what's going on in each room. So this is perfect. You ha have students kind of analyze as if they were a group of four uh, at their desks. And so I think um, this has been a terrific thing uh, to, to kind of reenact the group work, the collaborative group work that we, we like so much with visual patterns. Now, Slad, it seems a little much, though, in terms of those four questions to work with with the visual patterns. Is there a way that you handle that then within breakout rooms uh, so it doesn't become a structure that's unwieldy or something else like that? Yes. Well, we like to, to just take a look at a couple questions at a time. I mean, these are entry level. And, you know, this is a low floor, high ceiling question. We love those. Just invites you to come into the problem. Step four is not... Um, that bad uh, difficulty wise. So a lot of students will can do this multiple ways, but in your breakout sessions, then you're not having students go straight to the hardest ones. You have them kind of step through the process and then change up the, the, um, the breakout rooms as well. Mm -hmm. So then bringing students back together, talking a little bit about it, and then you said bringing in the next two questions in for the next breakout room that you set students to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Dave, I noticed you've made a slight change here of a typical visual patterns talks about step N. You've used step X here. Can you talk about the purpose of that? Well, we're searching for X the whole year, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've had students 
in my classes talk about visual patterns and and they say finally i understand what x means the whole year we've been talking about x and now i understand it and i just think it puts in perspective we certainly can use n i mean whatever letter you want but i think x kind of relates to to what we do most of the time so i i like to use x great so uh, what's wonderful about this is the way we can recognize the brilliance of our students. And there's so many different ways that they come up with it and the structure that, of the pattern that they see and break the, the items apart. And that's what I think is so cool in terms of really gives it that importance of equivalence uh, and mm. what those are. And we can actually see it uh, from a visual perspective and students uh, come up with it on their own, uh, which is just fantastic. You know, this is getting me excited for school because Look, look at all the ways that those students did that and the power that they brought to the table and the aha moments that they found. And then they get to share that with the rest of the class. And I, I just think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and so also uh, just something uh, uh, Michael Fenton has a way of then extending this, of looking at what is something like step 1.5 look like uh, and getting students to think through that process of the in-between uh, and sort of all these different ways of students come up with it and, and also provide an explanation for what they see mm. uh, of something of structure that's there. That's cool. Uh, just one thing in terms of working with Zoom breakout rooms um, as you move throughout the classroom uh, year and things like that. Um, using this in a face-to-face, -face, but also in a digital environment of providing some roles of, you you know, here. And here I talk about the different roles that students have, so they're clear on them. And so then when they're in that structure and are provided with them, something to interact with, their dialogue has some more focus in terms of what people, students are doing, what their uh, roles are and their responsibilities are, and then what they bring back when we come back together as a group that way. Um, but again, it's, it's a process. Uh, this is not something that I would start like, what Dave had on the first time of doing a Zoom breakout. This is something that I use over time and introduce to them for students to use. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of our PLC. Uh, we have certain roles in our PLCs and I don't know how you all uh, are doing your PLCs or if you have PLCs, but uh, there's, it's nice to have some structure. And so mm -hmm. I think this is, this puts some of the maybe introverts a little bit more at ease. So again, from a before aspect of visual patterns of where students are substituting something into an expression, um, not that this doesn't have value, uh, but then looking at it from an after perspective of uh, students create different structures of how they come up with this answer of what they see visually, or they may create a table or work with a graph or something else like that. And that's where the open-ended nature comes in uh, from that structure of developing what that expression is. Uh, so, question. yeah, so a big <laughs> shout out to uh, Fawn Wynn and uh, visualpatterns.org and all the things that Fawn offers uh, to the mathematical community. We really want to thank her for all that she does. Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple other ways to accomplish listening to our students. Um, one is uh, formative um, and the other one is Desmos Activity Builder. Uh, and then we'll wrap things up then with some questions then for people after that. Um, and uh, so that structure, Maths Vens, uh, this is actually from the UK. So this is not a misprint or a mistype. Um, they shorten mathematics down to maths. Um, so shout out to my mom who's British. Uh, so here, what you can see is a Venn diagram. Each circle then has a uh, 
particular restriction on it. And then students then enter numbers into the different areas. And again, from a face-to-face -face environment, I can make a copy of this or display this and students write this down on paper, which is fantastic. I can do that in a digital environment um, and then students could share out that way. But a way that we have found is uh, GoFormative. And GoFormative has two options of a free version and a premium version. I'm just gonna talk about an example if I took this Maths Vens into a free version of GoFormative to work with that. And so I signed up and made an account. Uh, doesn't cost anything. I made a new formative, uh, entitled it from coordinates in all quadrants, uh, which is an example from the website. Uh, and then what I did is I used a show your work problem, which is one of part of the free ones that are there. And then I wrote the prompt there, create ordered pairs X comma Y that fit within each region on the Venn diagram. And then I entered in and cop and made a uh, you know clip of that image of the Venn diagram and then popped it in here. So this is what the student sees. Uh, and the student can use then the digital pen uh, to write things in, or they can type text in uh, if they want to. So again, I can now see uh, what uh, reasoning of students are, um, see what their thought process is. I can slows me down to look at each student's response that way. Uh, we can celebrate what students know and then what their arguments and ideas that they come up with as a result. You can also zoom in and zoom out uh, with this then too. Uh, so we've used this formative structure then in terms of short formatives that we use over and over again uh, with our students then to slow down and find out what the work that they have. Uh, so there's an example there. I'm not going to go into it, but it's a, a pretty quick structure to set up uh, for your students to get in to use. So there's a link there in terms of you can go to and try out this Maths Vens for yourself. Yeah, and and I think there's two things happening here. I think uh, Math Vens is is a good idea, but I think go formative is, we're also um, kind of highlighting go, go formative has been terrific for me. I've given written feedback on mm -hmm. their digital work mm -hmm. and it goes back to them. And I think that has been super valuable. You can also do voice feedback. Now I think there's paid version and not paid version. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what, where the line is drawn, but um, the the written feedback, I can just pinpoint where they've done the problem incorrectly digitally on their work and just say, ask a question, you know, and have them ponder that. And it's a little back and forth mm -hmm. feedback, just kind of like you would be talking in class. So, it, yeah. Great. So shout out to Craig Barton uh, for developing this website. Uh, it has lots of different concept areas. And it's fun to look at how some of the concept areas, uh, vocabulary is used in the UK versus the US, which is really cool. And I do a, a um, algebra support and I like math Vens for that algebra support class. It just helps the, their thinking um, and, and pushes uh, some of those lines a little bit further. Mm -hmm. So another one uh, especially is Desmos, uh, which they have a new landing page, uh, which now has the resources and, uh, all housed together uh, and accessed that way. Uh, and so what we did then is um, just in terms of looking that quite a few activity builders that have been established there have open-ended questions in, in them. So this is one again, in terms of working with parabolas uh, where students then create a parabola in any different format and then try it to see if it passes through the gates or not. And what's really cool about this is how many different ways that students come up with this 
and different uh, representations that they use. Um, and so here is using the snapshot tool of four different graphs from students and then also four different equations that they've come up with. And now I can pose questions based on the student work that's here and value what their thinking is and their understanding and, um, and, and continue that dialogue and that process that way from a digital format. Uh, much easier in a face-to-face -face format, but well worth it in terms of an open-ended question that I'm using in the classroom uh, in different ways. And I've used this both synchronously and asynchronously then with students. And then here's one, Dave, you've used this in the classroom. This is one that you've developed. Can you talk about this one here? Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, I think what's cool about this is the kids go straight to, to this is a puzzle, you know, and they, they're familiar with this and they're trying all kinds of things, but it really, um, it's nice to have, if they want to use lines, use lines. If you want to use parabolas, you can narrow this down, but use a maze to get from one spot to another. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the idea that you can um, restrict a function is huge for them in, in, all through math, of course. And so they restrict these, um, these functions to get to, to where they're, going but that concept then of uh, restricting the domain then has purpose in an example mm -hmm. of this, which is just amazing like you <laughs> um, and also another feature that um, desmos has included to help with distance learning then too is to provide feedback so similar to what dave you had mentioned in go formative um, a similar structure in terms of and desmos is providing feedback to students then based on what they've got um, and then giving them encouragement, uh, recognizing where they're at, uh, offering a question to help move them in another direction if they need it. Uh, but again, just a, a terrific structure that way that helps in terms of that dialogue. Dave, there's also a website then in terms of uh, ways for students then, is there a whiteboard type of structure that you use at all? There is, and Matt asked a question uh, in the chat room that, that I wanted to address too here. Um, it's called all app and a W W app. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's worthy of showing my screen. Why don't we do that? If we have a little bit of time, we okay. we'll, do we'll do that. But, but all app, um, in what happens is that a student, um, goes to all app, shares that link with the other students that they're talking about. And then they're all working on that whiteboard screen at the same time mm -hmm. and they could post pictures they could draw on it uh, our um chromebooks you can draw on so those are nice things but um it's collaborative and you can type on there and then when you come back to the the the, the big class in the zoom you can have each group share out their screen from that activity yeah. So uh, also on Desmos, they've just created then some whiteboards that you can drop into activities that you have with blank screens and ways that students then can write and represent things on that uh, from their sketch tool. Um, and you might be saying, okay, what about this? Well, actually we've created a collection of open-ended question activity builders. Um, and so there's 44 activities and we're adding other ones there. So that's a link that you can go to afterward to look at. And we've arranged them kind of from a progression, you know, from um, 
middle school mathematics all the way up through pre-calculus, calculus type mm -hmm. thing. So shout out to Team Desmos for all the wonderful work that they do and the tools that they're developing and helping us to be connected and creative in our classrooms with our students and with each other. So really appreciate all the work that they do. So that meant, Dave, that we've done it, like we mentioned in instruction, we've done it in practice. That means we also needed to do it in assessment. Um, and so here's an example of something that, you know, Dave and I uh, and our team gives in terms of a short formative assessment um, to students that's open-ended. Uh, so given the graph, run an equation of a line perpendicular to the given line. Um, open-ended then because we don't specify which point or something else like that or which line. And so we're combining different concepts here, uh, but then anticipating and looking at all of the work that's there. And so the slowdown of having this formative assessment, which we find has really been a game changer for us, whether it be a, the technology of paper and pencil or a digital environment, we're looking at the student understanding uh, in, in this format. And that slows us down because we can look at every single student and find out where they're at, uh, to dialogue with them, to buy, provide feedback or feed forward to them in terms of what they're doing. And then the format isn't structured there of what it has to be in one way, shape or form. Um, yeah, and, and then we can share that, um, you know, last spring what we did often is, is um, picked different examples that students gave and then we went through that in a, in a quick video, kind of highlighting some of the ways that they did it mm -hmm. to got to the answer. Yeah. We actually did it then also on summative assessments, which means to do that, we would take some questions off uh, that would be closed-ended and add some open-ended questions and some ex explanation questions and things like that the students had. Uh, so here's one of draw and label a cylinder that has a volume of 20, 24 pi cubic centimeters and just all of these different ways. Um, also finding some ways such as here or providing some structure uh, for composition of transformations. And in this assessment day, it was wonderful. We found that students came up with basically 14 different ways. Um, so in a awesome. class. Yeah. Um, and then even going from that and going even broader, we developed an, an entire assessment then uh, from a digital format where students were working with uh, special quadrilaterals and then constructing them and then illustrating the properties that they have. Uh, and this is one that was a grand, great in terms of Desmos to do this from an activity builder standpoint because we could provide feedback to students along the way. But then this was fantastic because we found 12 different ways that students constructed isosceles trapezoids, like I, way beyond the realm of what I thought and what students could come up with, which was just fantastic. Yeah, that that's in Activity Builder. If, if you're interested, just email us or, or uh, give us a, a Twitter direct message. We'd love to share. Yeah. And then to sort of close things up is we actually developed some own, own of our own open source uh, resources. So we actually wrote some digital textbooks uh, as a group of teachers. Uh, those are actually at the end and we'll share those websites. Again, free, we incorporated lots of different ideas. So this is one, a shout out to John Stevens on his Would You Rather Math um, and to increase dialogue and other things like that of what we had in the structure of the resource that we put together. So to sort of close things up for a Q&A, um, you know, uh, thought this quote from Dan Meyer was really appropriate. If I want students to learn how to communicate mathematically, I need to ask them to communicate. We find that open-ended questions are a terrific way to do that, to invite them into the dialogue and for us to 
change the perspective of what we're doing and listen to our students and what they're doing instead of concentrating on answers of what they have. And then getting involved in and excited about the knowledge that they're developing and coming up with and what they're learning is about and really seeing that and communicating that from an open-ended structure. Yeah, and I think one of my goals this year as a teacher is to really listen to what a student is saying instead of anticipating just we've heard the same questions over and over years, year after year. And so to really listen, how are you thinking and what do you know? And then kind of pause and then answer um, appropriately. Cause I, I think then you're, you're giving them a voice. They, mm -hmm. you're affirming that they're, they're there and that they're present and that they're communicating mathematically. Yeah. So um, we just wanted to open things up to see if you had any questions uh, for us to dialogue about. Um, we've uh, really enjoyed our time that we've had here with you um, and just want to see if there's any questions for us to answer or other things to dialogue about. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, so Scott and Dave, I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, uh, first of all, thank you for presenting tonight. And um, I just have a couple questions that were um, in the chat. Um, uh, one, per I think it was Katie earlier. I, I can't remember if that's the name of the person that asked the question, but uh, there was a question of for independent practice, do you give after or before type questions or both? For independent practice, do you give after or before type questions or both? I, I tend to give both. Yeah. For sure, yeah. But I'd, I'd say the structure to make it work is just doing few, that fewer, that less is more is something that we've really found is really important. That uh, just a few good questions um, really helps in terms of manageability with what students are working with, but then also gives us uh, that accessibility then for students to answer those questions. Um, but yes, using a combination of both closed and open questions uh, is we use both of those. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Scott, is the amount of questions, is it is it busy work or is it uh, just, um, yeah, I, I think we really have to be intentional about what we give our students. Mm -hmm. Don't just give them a, to fill up 20 more minutes, give it for a purpose. Yeah. Um, do you think the students um, maybe do more thinking with less questions? In other words, yes, you could give them 20 to here's 20 questions of factoring binomials, but um, by giving them five of, of these more um, modified questions, I guess you you feel like they, they put maybe more thinking into it than if they had the original 20 drill questions? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, those, I think when you struggle, you remember. And, and we often, and I do this all the time, I try to take the struggle out because I want to help my students. But when we take that struggle out, they're not remembering as much. They're not, they're not getting as much out of that, um, that problem. So yeah, I, for sure, if the, the fewer problems, a little bit more challenging, a little more open-ended, they're going to remember it more. And I, I think that's also, like you said, Dave, of, of a student struggling with something, if it's fewer problems, it, sense of accomplishment that way, as opposed to, you know, 20 of close-ended questions and I'm struggling just on the first question and I don't know what to do. So in other words, 
structuring a question of really we're wanting to pay attention to where a student's at. Um, and so I, you know, I find of structuring that of we're using open-ended questions in our class. We're using open-ended questions then on formative assessments and summative assessments so students feel it's part of the culture what's going on. I think the other thing is just like Dave, you had mentioned the example earlier of the ways that students solve the problem and, and really spending time on that is just a really important feature. So we're you know, much more concerned on what the process is and where they're at um, and how that leads to an answer, but slowing down to take notice of that is, is really important. And then also recognizing that and displaying that to students and giving credence to that. Scott, is it making it stick or make it stick? Uh, make it stick, uh, the book uh, that that is, uh, and that research uh, that's um, much more up to date in terms of 2014 uh, that's been done um, and really shows, you know, when students struggle with a problem and attempt solutions and try again, that's where the learning really occurs with them. Mm, for sure. All right. All right. Um, yeah, uh, I guess there was one other question. Um, you know, in terms of like uh, the resources, you shared a lot of resources uh, between Padlet and Flipgrid and GoFormative and AWAP and of course Desmos. Um, you know, how easy has it been for your students to learn these different uh, resources? So I think one of the ways to introduce technology, I think is, is really important is actually to get students to play uh, on what you're using as opposed to using it from a straight cognitive structure but just to get to play. So for example, the first time I might be using Awe app, it's just getting every student, you know, to get comfortable just writing on it and trying some different things, not within a structure that's necessarily mathematical. And so that way students get comfortable with using that particular tool and then using it uh, in a structure then within a mathematical um, uh, way of doing it, but not doing that tied together with mathematics. Same way with other things to do that. And I think it's, Part of its groove in terms of like what fits with you as a teacher and you feel comfortable with and then also some of the feedback that your students provide uh, that way dave how about you yeah i think that's true i think uh making the first time you use flipgrid uh i don't do any math i just do you know have them tell about something um outrageous or something that they feel that they can talk about and not fail I think so just getting them and paddle it the same, all these, I think it's, it's a really good idea to just try to get them in um, using the technology. They are so comfortable in trying the technology that that's not always the issue. The issue is just the content if they're afraid to put out the content there. But um, that's what, what I typically do to have them enter non-math um, crazy questions. Mm -hmm. So I saw a couple of questions here. Um, one was, do you generally have students work in breakout rooms for a specific amount of time? Is first starting out with it is very short time frame uh, to work and get them comfortable with that and a specific question to answer or introduction that they have, and then build up time uh, over time in the breakout room uh, as move that way. But but still keep it to a, a, a small structure that way. Well, I, it, yeah, go ahead, Dave. Well, and I would even say that we need to make it um, very short because it's if it's awkward you know you've been in a group where there's no talking or you know what's the purpose of being in here and it's it's tough so I would say 
at the beginning of the year, it's two minutes. And I mean, that's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Just get them started talking. Yeah. And then you can carry on the, the conversation in a bigger group. It, there's a good question that was posted here, Dave, in terms of if you are getting students motivated to post and flip grid videos and trying open middles and things like that, but you're not associating points with it, how do you motivate them? Well, when without um, in my classroom, I tell my students, I'm going to pick one and we're all going to critique one of the videos. And so this, this way helps keep the bar higher and higher as the, the year goes on because they know their video might get called on and they will we'll look at their video and look at things that need to be improved, look at things that really went well. And so um, we're all in. I, I pick it random which video it is going to be. I don't pick it, you know, I just pick it completely random. And that's how one way I, I uh, achieve that. And I don't know if there's any other ways that maybe people have. Yeah, Dave, but when you mentioned that in terms of critique, though, you use some special ways of how that's done, though, because um, that could sound kind of negative in that way. What are some what are ways that are prompts that you give students in terms of what they talk about in terms of a video? Um, well, we we I give them some things to look for intro and outro outros. Um, uh, were they speaking clear? And, um, you know, a lot of these things. um at first, the first part of the year, it's not really clear to the kids what what comes out well and what comes doesn't come out well. So I asked them, what things did you like? And the kids are quite honest. And at the um, the kids that get critiqued, they actually like it, even if it's um, things that need to be improved on, because they're getting some attention. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 pretty uh i don't know if that's what you were looking for well I, I think it's the structure that you mentioned in terms of what are things that you liked about the video and then what are things to improve upon so mm-hmm. i think in terms of the the question that's done that way i think the other structure there is just um in terms of motivation is just a part of the classroom culture is that you know i'm really telling students up front i'm really interested on what you know, where you're at and what your problem solving process is. And that's what I'm really interested in. And so I value that. And so like being upfront with students about that and creating that culture from the beginning um, and providing dialogue. So one of those is like, um, you know, with Sarah, Wander- Sarah Vanderwerf's name tense at the beginning, where you start this dialogue back and forth with mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. Uh, that way. Um, and that's going to be more challenging in, a, in a, you know, an e-learning environment. But I think it's that keeping that known and students know that you you do that means that that's a part of the culture of what you've got in your classroom from that standpoint well it also it also is setting up that your peers can help you grow and not mm-hmm. just the teacher you know it's not just the teacher's role it's all of our roles to help each other grow better in this class it's not just one to help all the others it's all of us helping each other mm-hmm. so yeah that's a critiques are, i think are important in, in class all right. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here tonight. And thank you for sharing a variety of great ideas. And I thank all the people that um, attended this session live tonight. And um, I'm even going to thank the people 
uh, that will be watching this maybe a month from now. Um, if mm -hmm. you this video a month from now, um, realize that you can reach out to the presenters um, here on, uh, reach out to them on Twitter, um, both Scott Miller and David Slatke, um, with any questions you may have. Yeah, uh, love yeah go yeah. ahead. I just didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no, it's great. I, we'd love to connect. I mean, Twitter has been great. Um, this These kinds of webinars, just I think the conversations about um, teaching math, the, the profession, we're always changing. It's fluid. It's not like uh, it's a moving target. And so we have to continue these discussions to get better. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, Lee, we really want to thank you and the global mm. math department for the work that you're doing. Um, you know, to, to take time and energy to put this on um, and find people and uh, so many different formats that you're finding in terms of how students, people can access this as teachers, then help what they're doing in their classrooms and also with their colleagues in partnership with each other. So really thank you and uh, kudos to you. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of volunteers that work behind the scenes. And um, if you're listening to this, either through the recording or you're here tonight and you want to get involved, um, in the global math department, just reach out to us uh, through our uh, Gmail account, globalmathdepartment at gmail.com, um, or reach out to us on Twitter, uh, whether you want to help out with uh, hosting, um, like I've been doing tonight, or if you actually know somebody that would be great to present, um, please uh, let us know about that person um, as well. Um, we do not have a presenter for next week, but we do have um, Andrew Sadell presenting on the 25th. Uh, he is the one that created Estimation 180, a wonderful website um, that I highly recommend you uh, use, if you, especially if you have middle school um, students. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. So thank you all for being here tonight, and I hope to see many of you again in two weeks. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.